And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. And I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his bands, the house of Tokmara, of the north quarters, all his bands, and many people with them. We just trust the Lord to bless his word to our hearts this morning. Last time we looked at this, uh, we started off by looking at uh, the office and the spirit of prophecy. And the office of pro- uh, prophet is someone who's recognized as a prophet. And we did this so that we could know who to listen to because there's many prophets our so-called prophets about today telling us all what is and what isn't going to happen. Funny enough, I was watching a clip last night of a gentleman who was trying to have a go at the Bible and talk about how it's a lot of, in his words, nonsense. And he used Ezekiel where the, the dry bones became flesh. And I wish I had a telephone number to ring him and correct the poor fellow. You know, he was taking it literally and uh, this is what's going on, and people are listening to this. So we looked at the prophet. <coughs> are they recognized a prophet? How do we recognize them as a prophet? Well, by their fruits, by their prophecies before, where they've said things that have come to pass. <coughs> then we've looked at the spirit of prophecy. It's one of the gifts of the spirit. And as in all the gifts of the spirit, apart from the gift of tongues, it's for the edification of the body. So that's to build up the body. I don't believe the spirit of prophecy, uh, as in a, a gift of the spirit, is given to rebuke anyone or put anyone down. It's given to build up the body. That's clearly what 1 Corinthians 11 and 12, as we read about the gifts, tells us concerning the gifts. So we looked at that, and then we began to look at uh, Ezekiel and what was going to uh, going and come to be. And as we did this, we looked at Matthew 24 and 2 Timothy verse 3, and they clearly showed us that we are living in the last days. You don't have to be a prophet to know that. When that will exactly happen, we do establish and still establish that no one knows. No one knows. But there are signs given to us by the Lord which indicate his imminent return. So if anyone, and they're out there, you've only got to go on YouTube or any social media and you'll get all sorts of dates and when this is going to happen. And, but Jesus himself said, no man knoweth the hour. Then we looked at what is going on uh, apart from Ukraine, which we looked at. We, we've seen how Russia had established a naval base in Syria and patrols from Russian and Syrian air forces carry out regular patrols along the Israeli border with Syria. And so we then ask today, has the current situation in Ukraine anything to do with Ezekiel 38 and eventually Revelation 16 and Armageddon? So we look at Ezekiel 38, our reading. And the first verse I'm going to point out to you is in the word of the Lord came on to me. And so when we're looking at this, this is a reliable source. This is obviously the infallible word of God. 
And this is a recognized prophet, a man known by his fruits, a man known because of the prophecies that he gave and how they were fulfilled. And so we have a reliable source, and this reliable source tells us, the word of the Lord came unto me. And so what we have here in Ezekiel 38 is a direct word from God, the Lord who changes not. It says in 1 Peter 1 and 25, but the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. And so we see Ezekiel, I believe, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, proclaiming what God had revealed unto him. And we must note that when God speaks, it will come to pass. When God says something is going to happen, it will happen. It will happen. No man can change the will of the Lord. No man can interrupt the plans of God. No man can deny God's plans and God's will for mankind. The Lord is supreme, and his word is infallible. Second uh, Corinthians 1 verse 20, for all the promises of God in him are yea and amen, and in him amen unto the glory of God by us. So we see that this is a direct word from God to Ezekiel. And so we look at this and we say, okay, what is the Lord telling us? This isn't what is Ezekiel telling us. This is what is the Lord telling us. So we go to verse 2. And we see it says, Set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Dubel, and prophesy against him. And I've underlined there to emphasize this point. Set thy face against. Prophesy, excuse me, against so we know that this was not a word of exhortation, but a word of warning. It was a word of warning. And I want you to note something here when you look at this and you go on and all through Ezekiel's prophecy. There's no room here mentioned for repentance. You know, when the judgment was cast in Nineveh, they were allowed to repent and they did repent, and God held back and didn't destroy them. But here, as we read Ezekiel concerning this prophecy, there is no word anywhere where the Gog, Magog, uh, Meshach, the, the, uh, the prince of Meshach and Tubal, there's nowhere where they are given or, or, or have the opportunity to, to turn from their ways. So this was not a word of exhortation, but a word of warning, and it was going to come to pass. No matter what these nations will do, this warning will come to pass. Why? We go into verse 3. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee. You know, church, nothing could be worse than hearing that the Lord is against you. It can be fearful when individuals are against you. It can be fearful when nations are against your nation. It can be fearful as we, we look at, and we'll look at it in a minute, what Russia's trying to do. But you know, like all men and their equipment, they are limited. But there's nothing can stand against God. 
He is the creator of the universe. There is no one greater than the Lord. No army, no weapons, no nation, no other God has ever been able to stand against him or ever will be able to stand against him or to change his will and his plans. Even the devil himself, our greatest enemy, can do nothing because when the Lord says it will be done, it will be done. What is the Lord telling them? We go into verse 4. I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth and all thine army. You see, these nations, when they do make their attack, they will have no control over these events. They will come blinded, I believe, by Satan, thinking that they are going to have victory. They'll have no control over it whatsoever. And you know, there are three separate declarations made in Ezekiel 38 and 4 which are important under the beginning of the verse. And it tells us, I will turn thee back. Then it says, and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth. Now, none of these statements mean that God is going to bring these armies into the land of Israel. Many will tell us that God will bring these armies in to conquer Israel. That is not what this is saying. Instead, they are saying that God is going to bring these armies out of Israel, out of Israel. What it tells us is the Lord will turn the invading armies back from where they came. You know, in the second declaration, the notion of putting hooks into their jaws could be said as putting a ring in your nose or cheek, just as a farmer would do with a bull. God will lead these invading armies out of Israel, just like a farmer, as I've said, would lead a bull by the ring in its nose. And the third declaration, Ezekiel 34, or 38 and 4, it needs to be understood properly. Uh, it sounds as if God is leading these armies forward. But the Hebrew term translated bring thee forth doesn't mean to bring forward or to bring into. Instead, the term means uh, to bring out, to get out, to carry out, or to get away, or to lead out, or to pull out, or to pluck out. So we need to understand when we read this portion of Scripture that bring thee forth doesn't mean that God, contrary to what some are telling us, is going to bring into, but instead it means he's going to bring them out of, out of, this, uh, uh, out of Israel. And this saying, to put a hook into thy jaw, or cheek, to bring forth is found in other passages of the Bible, and that's where we understand it better. And everywhere it means that God will remove an army from the land of Israel, or that God will remove a nation from its own land. It never means that God will lead an army into Israel. It's a declaration of removal and not a depiction of entrance. For example, in Isaiah 37, the Lord led the Assyrian army out of the land of Israel, and again, just like a farmer, would lead a bull by the ring in its nose. And in Isaiah, uh, sorry, Isaiah 37, 29, and speaking about Sennacherib, we all know that story, king of Assyria, it tells us, because thy, thy rage against me and thy tumult has come up unto mine ears, therefore I will put my hook in thy nose and my bridle in thy lips, and I will bring thee back for the way which thou camest. Church, we need to remember, and it's a great comfort to us, as the children of the Lord. When a king or a nation attacks God's people, when they do this, 
They are attacking the Lord himself. You know, when Moses was burned out, a million people complaining to two million people complaining to him, nothing it seemed he could do was right. He went before the Lord. And the Lord said, Moses, they are not criticizing you. They are criticizing me. When we attack God's people, we attack the Lord. When nations rise up against God's people, they rise up against the Lord himself. And so we note that it was God who was turning back the king of Assyria in the way that he came from. God could have strengthened the armies of Israel, could have given them more numbers, could have brought allies to them. But Israel needed to know that God was going to deliver them from Assyria. The world needed to know that God was going to deliver them from Assyria. Assyria needed to know that it was God who was against him. And Sennacherib himself, who was murdered by one of his sons when he went back, he needed to know who defeated this wonderful army, which he thought could never be defeated. It was too strong uh, militarily. It was too well-equipped but yet the Lord destroyed them. So we can stop speculating about what hook that God will use to bring an invading army into Israel. We can begin to understand how God will remove an invading army out of Israel. You know, in Isaiah, that story of Sennacherib and the Assyrian army, God killed most of the Assyrian army as they slept. There was enough to turn them around and send them back to their hometown. In Isaiah 37, 37, uh, we, we see that Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. And it tells us, in fact, we go 36, 37. The angel of the Lord went forth and smote in the camp of the Assyrians and hundred and four score and five thousand. When they rose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. So God will put a hope to remove the invading army described in Ezekiel 38. God is in control. And you know what? It, it brings me comfort. I don't fear Russia and the communism and all these countries which are coming against us. I'm concerned, yes. But you know something? I know that when they attack the people of God, they are attacking God, and that's the biggest mistake they make. God will draw them out from our lands. How will he do it? Ezekiel's Ezekiel tells us that he will use a great earthquake. Excuse me. He will cause the invaders to fight each other. And he will make the invaders sick. He will make it rain and hail on them. And God will fight them with fire and brimstone. We go into verses 21 and 22 of Ezekiel 38. And I will call for a sword against him throughout all my mountains, saith the Lord God. Every man's sword shall be against his brother. And I will plead against him with pestilence and with blood and will rain upon him and upon his bands and upon the many people that are with him and overflowing rain and great hailstones, fire and brimstone. You see, church, as we pointed out before, a lot of these armies, as they conquer the land, they give the, the, uh, the conquered army the choice. You become part of us or die. And so if they had conquered several nations, and as their army grew, as these conquered armies thought, well, okay, we'll fight for you, say, for example, Sennacherib and the Assyrians. So the Assyrian army would have been made up of maybe several different nations or, or, or men from different nations. And the problem was, 
for all generals back then, that these nations also hated each other. And so at the first sign of trouble, they were turning on each other. And God got them to turn on each other. When he talks about brother against brother, it's fellow soldier against fellow soldier. It's not natural brother here against natural brother. And so this is how God defeated these armies. He, 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 he put that destruction in amongst them. They began to, to fight amongst each other and kill each other. And the, the whole world saying that it was God who delivered them. It was God who conquered them. And it was God who looked after his own people. Now, as I said, we shouldn't ident- try to identify the hook that God will use to lead an army, uh, to bring an army out of Israel. Instead, we need to understand that God will fight against any invading army and he'll cause them to retreat back to where they came from. In Ezekiel 38, it's important to see that God will fight to save Israel. We go back into the book of Leviticus and we see a promise and we know that God doesn't break his promises. And it says, and I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. Even when God's people were wrong, God's hand was watching, or God's eyes was watching over them. And he protected them. Certainly at times he allowed their enemies to prosper, but when they repented, God stepped in and God gave them deliverance. So we have a promise from God who changes not, and I believe that promise is still Alive and well today, especially to the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob here in the Isles of the Sea, God will take care of Israel. Throughout their history, they suffered at the hands of other nations, which was their own fault for turning from God, turning to idols. And I believe in the near future, Israel will suffer once again. But in the end, God is going to save them and finally secure their land forever. So we need to look to help us understand and see if there's any relation uh, to what's going on in Ukraine. We need to understand who these nations are. And we go back to Ezekiel 38, verses 2 and 3. What's that like? Can you maybe, I have maps. Is there anybody up there with you can work lights? And I don't know if they're going to work on the overhead. Let's see. And we can maybe dim the light a bit so you can see the maps. Uh, I'm not great at doing this, uh, so the maps, as I say, aren't the best maps, but hopefully you'll be able to understand them as I bring them out. So we're going to read Ezekiel 38, 2 and 3. Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, prophesy against him and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. So Gog and Ezekiel 38 is used nine times to identify the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. The word Rosh, which is frequently used as a national name, is a transliteration of the Hebrew word for head or chief. Therefore, Gog was a chief prince. He was from the land of Magog, which is an area associated with Noah's son Japheth. And he is portrayed as a leader of a confederacy uniting Israel's enemies who would strike against them when they were experiencing peace and prosperity. These forces will strike against, uh, will strike when they believe Israel is defenseless. Magog was probably the ancient uh, Armenia located in the vicinity of the Black Sea. In Revelation 20, Gog and Magog were named as the two representatives of the world's rebellious nations who would be deceived by Satan and are destined for destruction. So where are these places? That's okay. Can you see that okay? Is it clear or would it help with the lights down? It's okay. 
Okay, so where are these places? Tubal, which it talks about, is Turkey. And Meshach is Moscow. Kush is modern-day Ethiopia. And Put is in Libya. Now, John, uh, let's see if this works. It mightn't. No, it doesn't. So just to the left there, you see a narrow. That's Put, and that is uh, Libya. Kush. There's Tubal up at the top. Meshach and Kush. Is just down below where Putin is at the bottom left-hand corner. So these nations are Turkey, uh, and Meshach is Moscow, Ethiopia, and Libya. And so Ezekiel 38 tells us that these nations will rise and attack, will rise and attack Israel. Now, Dr. R. Wilhelm, in his book Revelation and History, he stated that modern, Russia, modern day Russia is not as strong as it used to be. And let's see if we go to the next one. Yeah. Now, I have nothing to point, so you just have to trust me. But this whole area, Ukraine is the, the green just to the left here. And when you think of it, the old USSR, that's actually a map, if you can see at the bottom there, from 1990. But all these nations were in the Soviet bloc. If you go over this way, you've got Poland, Hungary, uh, Romania, and we'll talk about it in a minute, just at the bottom of Ukraine, Moldova. And so that's sort of, you know, that was basically the size of the old Russian empire before the fall of communism. But today she's not as strong as we have seen in Ukraine. And that's Ukraine there over to the left with the arrow pointing to it. That's basically the size of Russia today. So you can see the decrease, because I can't pronounce all these, Kazakhstan, Mongolia, all that, well, not Mongolia, but Kazakhstan, they were down in this far as far as Uzbekistan and all the other Istan nations. So Russia is reduced greatly. She's not as strong as she was, and we've been, that has been proven in the fact that the Ukrainians have been able to hold them back. So what is going on? in Ukraine. For me, church, and this isn't a prophecy, this is my opinion, you're allowed to disagree with me. But I believe that Putin invaded uh, Ukraine in his desire to rebuild the USSR, the United Soviet States of Russia. Strategically, he wants to control the Sea of uh, Azov, which is just the bottom right there, you can see it, and also the Black Sea. He wants to take control of the western coast of the Ukraine, which is Mariupol and Odessa, which you're hearing a lot about in the news at the moment. Again, the two arrows pointing down way. And when you look at that there, you'll understand why I believe this is happening. Uh, because if he does get this, uh, take these two cities and the south uh, east of uh, Ukraine, then his next target, I believe, he'll try to take Moldova. Moldova, sorry, which again is just on the left there. And if you look at that, if he can uh, go round the bottom here, you can see Odessa, if he goes round by, I can't pronounce that, Bill Horrid, if he goes up the way, again, he's more or less sandwiched Ukraine in, and the only way that they can get help would either be Poland, Romania, and I think the other one is Hungary, but I could be wrong there. So you can see his thinking uh, for their... He already has Crimea, as you can see, and there have been standoffs in the uh, Black Sea and around Crimea between the British Navy and the Russian Navy and Air Force. 
Uh, in fact, recently, if you remember seeing this in the news, there was a huge uh, British Navy, uh, I think it was an aircraft carrier, was patrolling the Black Sea, and Russian jets were mustered, and they fired what they call in war games, pings. And they do this, uh, they were doing this to warn the British Navy, and the British Navy didn't react, but they were in standby just in case. So you can see what Putin was desiring way back. I mean, that was a, way, a good year, maybe a year and a half ago, maybe this was happening. And you can see his desires as to, you know, get round there, take Mariupol, take Odessa, take further round and into Moldova. And strategically, this would be good if he could do this. You know, if other former uh, Soviet bloc nations decide to join NATO, or decide to join what they're still trying to do in Europe and form a European army. This invasion would give uh, Russia control over the movement of other naval forces should there be a war, because they could use Mariupol and Odessa as naval ports to refuel and as land bases for their air force to patrol the, back, the Black Sea. So for me, this was never about Russia setting free the repressed people of Ukraine. In fact, uh, I don't know if you know or not, but uh, there's been like a, 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 maybe a civil war is too strong a word, but there's been a kind of civil war in Ukraine, the eastern Ukraine, from terrorists, uh, Russian-backed terrorists, fighting against the Ukrainian army, uh, because again, they wanted to stay with Russia. But the, the, the claim that uh, Putin went in to save them from Ukrainian oppression is honestly, I believe, a little nonsense. He is preparing for... Uh, making stronger defences should again a European army or a NATO force uh, be declared in that area. So it, I also don't believe this was an intention or it will be a cause of World War III personally. Uh, I, I, it may lead to that, but I don't really believe it's, it'll happen uh, within the near future. Why? Because in Ezekiel 38, the enemies came out of from the north. Ukraine is south of Russia and is not a pathway to Israel. So this is not, I believe, uh, at the moment, anything to do with trying to go in and invade Israel. And even if it does lead to an all-out attack on Israel, remember what the Lord said. I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth, which means out, of all thine army, horses, horsemen, all them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. And I love what the Lord said to, uh, through his servant, the prophet. It's, it's actually, uh, I think it's verse 20 instead of 23, but it's in Ezekiel 38 anyway. Thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. And you know, when I read that, I thought about how the Lord delivered Israel from Egypt. When they came to the Red Sea, as I've spoken about this many times, they had a Rus uh, Russian, they had an Egyptian garrison to one side, Craggy Mountain range to the other side, Pharaoh's army behind them. God could have strengthened Israel, could have armed Israel. They could have turned around and defeated Pharaoh and, and his crack soldiers. But God opened up a way and they passed through the Red Sea onto another land. God delivered them, and the point was all the nations, including Egypt, knew it was God who delivered Israel. You see, God wants to be glorified. God wants to be magnified. And if God's going to deliver Israel, 
then it's going to be a, a, a thing that the world will see. You know, if they attacked Israel tomorrow and America and Britain went in and pushed the Russians back, everybody would be praising Boris Johnson and Mr. Biden, although that's never going to happen when he's president, but I'm not going to get into politics. But the way the Lord will do it is he will pull them out. And the world will see it was God who delivered Israel. Church, I do believe that the world is drawing near to the coming of the Lord. All over the world, there are wars. And there are preparations for wars. For example, I don't know if any of you know this one. Japan and the USA are carrying out joint military exercises in the South China Sea, the Sea of Japan, and the, Philippi uh, the Philippine Sea. This is to counteract the military exercises of China and North Korea and the missile testing of both nations. You know, not many people know that China have actually built and are continuing in the process of building an island in the South China Sea. And this is causing great concern, particularly for Japan. In fact, if you go on, you can go on to, where did I find it? Uh, Google Images. If you go on to Google Images and type out something like China building an island, you'll get stacks of these things, and they'll give you a link to news reports of what's going on. But this is how far they're on at the moment. It's quite a large island because there's a runway for airplanes on it. Uh, there's base on, uh, a naval base on it as such, a report where they can uh, have their, their navies there. And I believe that they wish to use this again as a naval or military base where they can refuel their ships. Strategically, they can use it as an airport for their air forces or even a place to launch their missiles from. And so there's a lot of tension. We're all looking at Ukraine. I would suggest there's even more tension in the, the, the South China Sea at the moment, particularly uh, North Korea and what China are up to. So the world is lining up for the end with wars, eco-disasters, and all sorts of other disasters. But we know that the Lord will step in and deliver his people. In Matthew 24, 21 and 22, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not uh, since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor uh, ever shall be. And except those days be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But listen to this, church. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. For the elect's sake, those days shall be uh, shortened. Church, we should be concerned, but not afraid. Always remembering what the Lord said. Look up. When these things happen, look up. Why? Because your redemption draweth near. O Lord, come nigh and return and deliver your people. For me, there is no greater challenge going on against God and his people than what's going on today. And you know something? For me, sorry, there is a greater challenge going on against God and his people at the moment. And it's going on both internally in the church and externally. And I want to look at that and see if I can highlight for you what I believe is another threat uh, going on. And the sad thing is there's great apathy towards it. You know, as a, the, the, I'm going to continue this study, and 
we're going to go down the road. We're going to ask the question, going to hit musicians, and I want you to think about it because I think this is important. When thinking about this and praying about this, when it says that all these nations will attack Israel, are they talking about geographical Israel? Or are they talking about the Israel of God? Who is the greatest enemies of communism in the world? Who does communism fear? What nations? They fear the Isles of the Sea. They fear Ephraim and Manasseh. See, Israel, Israel is just a little blip of land. It's important in God's eyes, we know that. But think about that. Is it a geographical invasion or is it an invasion of God's people, an attack against God's people? Now, you can agree or disagree. I need to study it more to make sure I'm on the right road. But think about that as we continue this study. Think about, <coughs> are, are, are we talking about this little nation?